The title of the series is this, Building Solid Rock. That sounds exciting, right? I need your help to build what God wants us to do. It is not a one-man job. It is a family job. And not only are you going to benefit from it, but your children, your grandchildren, and thousands of others will benefit from what we are doing right now in this season of Solid Rock. Uh, the, tie, the, 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 the name of the church came from, whenever I started the church, God gave it to me from, uh, let's see, Matthew 7, 25, and it says this, Rain fell, floods came, and wind blew against that house, but it did not fall because it was built upon the what? Solid rock. Solid rock, that's right. Okay, so today in part one, I want to talk to you about this. Sow a seed. Sow a seed. This comes, all three points come from Galatians 6, uh, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. So if you want to study that in your Bible later, that's what we're going to study today. Sow a seed. God established several laws uh, when he began creation. Uh, one of the laws is the law of sowing and reaping. It's a farming analogy. The word sow isn't like S-E-W where, you, you know, your grandma sews a button. S-O-W means to plant, to release seed, to put seed in the ground. Reaping means to gather what you get from that seed, to gather the harvest. Um, it, it's a law. And what it says is, if you want to get anything, you have to release something first. You'll never have an apple tree without putting an apple seed in the ground. You can pray. You can hope. You can believe. You can smile and have a good attitude. But nothing happens until you put seed in the ground. This law of sowing and reaping, you can't get away from it. If you're a non-Christian, it's still in effect. If you're an atheist, it's still in effect. If you're white, black, rich, poor, if you live in the Middle East, if you live in Antarctica, no matter where you're at, the law of sowing and reaping is always following you. You are today what you sowed in the yesterday. You have right now in your life, what you possess right now, what you have is based on all the seeds that you've sown in the past. Now, let me give you some other universal laws that you can't change, okay? The law of gravity. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. If you jump off the roof of your house, you're going down. Because the law of gravity is in effect. God established, it's called a universal law. There are universal covenants. God made a covenant with five men in the Bible. David, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Noah. The Noahic covenant is universal. God told Noah, I give a covenant with you. I will never again flood the earth. No matter how evil everyone is, no matter how rebellious or prideful they are, I'll never flood the earth. Now listen, no matter what you do, God's not going to flood the earth. I don't care how evil you are. I don't care what you believe or how much you pray. You can pray. You can get the whole world to pray. God, please flood the earth and he won't flood the earth. In fact, he gave him a rainbow as the promise and it sickens me. and makes me want to gag myself and throw up and swallow the throw up and throw it up again. When I see someone take the rainbow as a sign of pride, it's not pride. It represents the fact that even in your pride, God won't flood the earth and destroy you like he had to do before. It's a promise. It's a covenant. You can't get away from it. The law of sowing and reaping, same thing. A farmer can, can stand outside of his field and hope for corn and pray for corn and believe that corn is going to grow. But if he doesn't put corn seed in the ground, it'll never happen. There's no way to stop that. Genesis 8.22, as long as the world exists, there will always be seed time and harvest. If you want a better tomorrow, you have to change what you're sowing today. And you can't just treat people however you want to treat them and think it's not going to come back to you. It's going to come back to you, good or bad. You can't blame your parents 
Because you don't reap what they sow, you reap what you sow. You say, well, this person hurt me. They walked out of me. They lied about me. They fired me um, in the wrong. They, all these things that they did affected me. But let me ask you this. What did you do in the midst of that? Did you sow a seed of forgiveness when that happened to you? Well, no, I was really angry. You reap what you sow. No matter what anyone else does, you will get what you give. You don't reap what your wife sows. You don't reap what your parents sow. You don't reap what your boss sows. You reap what you put in the ground. Um, anybody know the name John Chapman? Some of you old people should know who John Chapman is. So I'll give you his nickname, Johnny Appleseed. You know Johnny Appleseed? That's his nickname. Okay. He was around in the 1800s when some of y'all were in kindergarten. And so what he did was he traveled all through the United States for 50 years, and he planted Appleseed to have apple orchards all over. Um, people don't know this, but he was a very passionate Christian, and he actually spent all of his 50 years witnessing to the Native Americans. He's known for winning more Native Americans to the Lord than any other white person. And the reason they didn't harm him is because he brought seed with him. And he'd teach them to plant the seed, and then he'd come back years later, and they'd have an apple tree, and then he'd start to witness to them about Jesus. And they said that, you know, they, they all, all the Native Americans said he knew the great spirit, and he didn't knew the great Holy Spirit. But here's the point I want you to see. The seed had to be put in the ground. The harvest never comes without the seed. Amen. And some of y'all, you've been expecting good things. You've been hoping for a harvest. You've been praying that God heals you and brings this person into your life and helps with your finances and protects your children. And that's great. You should pray. But you got to put some seed in the ground. Amen. That's just like the farmer standing there and his farmer buddies say, what are you doing? He says, I'm praying for okra over here. And I'm praying for lima beans over here. And I'm praying, he was from Aner, obviously. And I'm praying for collard greens here. And they said, oh, did you plant that stuff? No, I didn't plant anything, but I'm believing God and I'm trying to be a good person all day long. You got to put seed in the ground, okay? So I have three points for you today on, on sowing a seed here at Solid Rock. Number one is this, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Galatians 6, remember we're studying Galatians 6, 7 through 10, verse 7 says, do not be deceived. Anytime the Bible says don't be deceived, it's like the hot sign at Krispy Kreme. You really want to take note of what's going on there, okay? Don't be deceived means this. What I'm about to say next, many Christians are deceived. Because this was written to a church, not to atheists. This was written to the church of Galatia. So people are deceived about what I'm about to say next. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. It doesn't say what the President of the United States sows. Well, he affects my life. Listen, you're either under society or you're under God, but you can't be under both. Now, if you're under God's plan, then you can say, God, no matter what has happened to me, no matter what's going on around me, I know that your word says I read what I sow. So even in this time where I'm upset and troubled and frustrated, I'm going to sow the right seed so you can bring me the right harvest in life. This father and son, they were hiking through a mountain one day, and the little boy slipped about 10 feet down the side of this cliff. It wasn't that big of a deal. He, he you know, fell on this other you know, flat part of the mountain. But as soon as he hit the ground, he screamed, help me. And he heard this voice boom back, help me. And he stood up and said, who are you? And this voice came back, who are you? And his father got there and said, son, what are you doing? So I said, Dad, who is that out there? And the dad smiled. He said, oh, he said, watch this. You're great. 
And the voice came back, you're great. And the dad said, you can do anything. And the voice came back, you can do anything. And the dad said, son, that's an echo. But it's also called life. Whatever you send out is what you're going to get. Amen. Here's my question. What have y'all been sending out? Now, I can tell about what you have in your life right now. If there's strife in your home, I can tell what you've been sending out. If you're lacking in the area of friends, I can tell what you're sending out. If you have no money to pay your bill, I can tell you what you're sending out. You are right now what you've been sowing in the past. Remember this. What I hold on to, what I keep, is all I'm going to have in life. But what I release, what I sow, is what gets multiplied back to me. You can't live a selfish life and expect to be blessed. It just won't happen. Psalms 37.3 says this. In times of difficulty... Trust the Lord and do good. It's not enough just to trust the Lord. You have to put some seed in the ground. You have to do good. There's a, a big time uh, Saudi Arabian prince lives over in the Middle East and he's a multi-billionaire with a B. He, he has several palaces. In one of his palaces, there's a kitchen that's 27,000 square feet. That's how big the kitchen is, okay? I don't know what they're cooking in that kitchen, but that's a big kitchen. He has three 747 planes. He has three cruise ships. He has hundreds of cars, and every car is valued at over $100,000 each. Some of them are million-dollar cars. And his business continues to flourish. He just keeps making millions and millions and millions every year. Um, every year, he brings in about 100 people, one at a time, all throughout the year, from his country, and he sits down and he discusses with them and to find out exactly what they need. If they need a car, he gives them a car. If they need an operation, he pays for them to have an operation. If they need money for school, he pays for their school. If they need a house, he buys them a house. He continues to flourish. God allows this man who does not serve him, who does not know God, if he were to die today, he'd go to hell. But yet God allows him to continue to flourish and prosper. Why is that? Here's why. The law of sowing and reaping is universal. I don't care who you are or what you believe. If you give good stuff, you're going to get good stuff. If you give the wrong stuff, you're going to get the wrong stuff in life. You reap what you sow. In Luke 6, 37-38, it says this. Judge not and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others and you won't be condemned. You see the, you see the law of sowing and reaping in effect? Watch this. Forgive and give up resentment, and then you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll come back to you. Now, here's the statement that takes care of everything we just read. The measure that you use for others is the measure that God will use for you. Listen real close. You determine the size of your harvest. Now, I'm going to say something that's probably going to offend you, and I don't care because that's what I do for a living. Um <laughs> Your gender, your gender does not determine your harvest. Now you think, well, men get paid more. Men, no, no, no. You're either under society or you're under God, but you can't be both. Your gender does not determine your harvest. What you sow determines your harvest. Your skin color does not determine your harvest. Well, if I were this, I'd have this privilege. No, 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 no. When you're under God, it does not matter about your skin color, your gender, where you're from, your past, your parents, how you were raised. You reap the seeds that you sow in life. You determine the size of what you get. If you want a bigger harvest tomorrow, you better sow bigger seeds today. 
You reap what it is you sow in life. Every time you give in the offering, you are, you are expanding your future. Every time you forgive somebody quickly, you're expanding your future. Every time you do the right thing when the wrong thing's happening, you are creating the future that God wants you to have. You reap what you sow. Point number two is this. You got to sow in your time of need. If there's ever a time in life where you feel like being selfish, <clears throat> it's when you're in need. When we're in need of something and we're hurting, we want other people to sow into us. Isn't that what it is? Remember, we're studying Galatians 6, 8 through 9 says this. Plant selfishness, ignoring the needs of others. And here's what you're going to get. A harvest of weeds and not the good weed, the bad weed. Okay, <laughs> The one who sows in response to God, he will reap a Holy Spirit life. So do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You know what that scripture says? It says when you feel like fainting, when you feel like being selfish, when you feel like ignoring everybody else, you should sow seeds right there in that time of need, and it'll bring you out of your need, and you'll have the harvest God wants you to have. Amen. So Pastor Matt here, Poor guy. <laughs> Pastor Matt and Melissa, they wanted so bad to sow a seed into the new building project. Everybody's asked to give sacrificially. And Matt and Melissa already sacrificed so much for the kingdom. So much. They do so much for me, for the church, for all the kids, and for God. So much. And Matt has spent the past year working on this prize truck that he loves, a 1972 something or other. He made it pretty. He did the inside, outside. I mean, a year. His kids love the truck. This was Matt's, you know, this little prize possession. And he saw me the other day in the, in the room here. And he said, um, we've been praying about it and we want to give our truck to the church to sell. And that money's going to be the seed for the new building. And he's all excited. The first word out of my mouth was this. Nah. No, you don't need to do that. No, no, no. You already do too much. Listen, you're in need, man. You need the building as much as I do. You need this. Your family needs this. You don't have time with your wife. You're working 12 hours a day. You're in need. Hold on to what you have. Don't release the seed. Let somebody else sow sacrificially. You don't need to do this. And so Matt sends me this long text a few days later. We prayed about it. We know God wants us to do it. We have to sell it. The money's going to go to the new building. And so all I said was, okay, whatever. He was hoping to get between five and 7,000. He said he'll start at 10,000 and see what happens. He put it up for sale Saturday a week ago. Within one day, it sold for $10,000. Matt and Melissa were able to sow a $10,000 seed into the new building. Two days later, the person that bought the truck gave it back to him as a gift. and not need-minded. It's so easy to always look out for numero uno. What can I do to bless me? What can I get out of things? Make it all about me. You think, well, you know what? After I get out of this problem, then I'll help somebody else. After I pay off my credit card, then I'll give sacrificially to the new vision that we're doing. After I get healed, then I'll help somebody else with their health. Man, you got it backwards. 
You got it so backwards. You'll never come out of your need until you sow some seed. And I'm talking to some of y'all, there's probably a half a dozen of you in this room. You're always in need. I mean, you are always in need, and we all know it. You tell everybody, you put it on Facebook, you're always an emotional wreck. Stop thinking of yourself for just three months and pour into somebody else. You're waiting for your ship to come in, but you haven't sent a ship out. <laughs> you got to get some seed into the ground, especially if you don't learn how to sow in your time of need. You'll never be a giver when God brings you the whole orchard. You know, if God brought you the whole apple tree today, you wouldn't be a giver because you didn't learn how to sow with what you had in the beginning. It all starts with the seed. In Genesis 26, 1, it says there was a famine in the land. That means people were in dire need. They're starving. There's no water. There's no food. There's no toilet paper on the shelves. Nothing. <laughs> Which I guess you don't need if there's no water and no food. But either way, they want nothing. Okay? So in verse 12, Isaac, here's what he did. He sowed a seed in that land and received a hundred times what he planted. And the Lord's blessing. Here's why the Lord's blessing was on him. Here's why the economy didn't affect it. Here's why the president didn't affect it. His gender, his color, nothing affected it. Because he was under God's plan. And he sowed a seed in faith in that land, received a hundred times. The Lord's blessing was on him. He became rich and his wealth continued to grow. Okay, let me teach you something that you might not believe, but, but it's the truth, okay? Those of you in here who think, well, I'm in need, and God said he'd supply my needs, and I'm still in need. Okay, listen real close. He has already supplied your needs through your seed. Amen. Whatever you possess right now, you have everything you need to fulfill your God-given destiny, to build the kingdom of God and to help somebody else. And it's all within your seed. If you will release your seed, you'll have more than what you need. So if you're in need of something today, it means you're holding on to something God's wanting to multiply in your life. This is such a good story. I'm about to jump off this stage. You got to release the seed right where you're at. What kind of famine are you in? Are you in a famine of friends? Are you in a famine of health? Are you in a famine of, 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 of relationship? Are you in a famine of peace? Whatever famine you're in, sow a seed right there. Let me show you something else too. He sowed a seed in that land. See, a lot of people think their field is the problem. Your field's not the problem, man. You're just selfish. Your field, they think, well, if I go to this other marriage, then I'll have a big field, a big crop, a big harvest. If I go to this other job, because my boss is the problem, if I move to this other country, because the president's the problem, if I do this, then that's the, the field's not the problem. The problem is you're not sowing right there in the middle of the need. Where the problem is, that's where you should sow. You know, uh, Trisha, our administrative pastor, she calls all of the visitors, like on Friday or Saturday. So if you fill out a visitor card, she'll call you and thank you. And then she emails me. Um, whatever the conversation was like. Tells me if they liked it or most of them all like it, whatever, you know, I'll think. Well, a few weeks ago, she, I saw a paragraph from my email. said, yep, this one lady, she's um, a retired pastor. Now, first of all, if the first thing you want to tell us is your gift, and we have a lot of people call, I'm a prophet. God told me I'm a prophet. And I say, you tell them we're a nonprofit organization. We got to get a They always want to give out their titles, you know. So that was funny. I'm going to say that second service. I'm going to write that down. Nonprofit organization got that. Okay. So um, they always want to give us their testimony. So I'm a retired pastor and I enjoyed the music and the pastor was good, but now anytime they say but, I say, Trisha, pretend like y'all got disconnected and, and, and block them. But she said, but 
he really offended me when he said this and this and this and this. And I thought, that's just a regular Sunday, lady. You don't know what you're in for. But she went through all the things that offended her. And then at the end of it, she said, but I'll be back because I really enjoyed it. I said, Trisha, call that lady. Tell her, don't come back to this church. Because if you got so offended the first time you came that you felt the need to verbalize that, I don't want you here. I need that seat for somebody else, to be honest with you. Now, here's the problem. She'll go to another church. And she'll get offended there. Yeah. And then she'll go to another one. She'll get offended there. And she'll spend five years of her life with no healthy relationships, no deep friendships, no one to celebrate her victories, no one to pray when she's down. None of that. Here's why. She's not sowing seeds of mercy. She's sowing seeds of offense. She thinks the field's the problem. The field's not the problem. The Bible, Jesus said to the merciful, I will show them mercy. If you want something in life, you got to give it out. If you're getting offended everywhere you go, the field isn't the issue. Your heart is the issue. Sow the right seed right where you're at in the middle of the need. Job in the Bible, he was in a famine. He lost everything he had. He lost his friends. He lost his health. He lost his business. After 42 chapters of thinking it's everybody else's fault. 42 chapters. Now, I don't know what chapter... You're in in your life. Don't go to chapter 42 thinking the problem is always somebody else. Don't do that. 42 chapters. Finally, he did something that changed everything. The last chapter of Job, 42 verse 10 says this. The Lord turned the captivity of Job. And I love this. Restored his money after he prayed for somebody else. You know he needed prayer more than anyone else out there. But he got his mind off of himself, and he said, imagine, a, imagine your family is starving to death. You're starving. And I come to visit you in your house, and um, y'all are starving. You have nothing to eat. And I look in your house, and there's apple seeds, and orange seeds, and fig seeds, and tomato seeds, and, and green pepper seeds, and all this. And I say, well, what are you doing starving? Why don't you plant some of these seeds? And you say, well, if we, if we, if we get rid of these seeds, we won't have enough. You don't have enough now. You're in need now. Why don't you put the seed in the ground and then give it to God and let him bring you a harvest. You possess the power. Listen, you possess the power for God to bring you a harvest. Amen. Not the stock market, not whatever your investments are in, but God can bring you. That's, am that's amazing. You know, um, when my fourth child, my little Asher, when he was born, um, about two months into his life, there, we went through a horrible, horrible series of events and spinal taps and x-rays and all this. And they finally found it in USC. They had a, a tumor in his spinal cord. And there's a picture up there. And um, so every day we're by his bed. We're not, we're like zombies. We're not eating. We're not, we don't know if it's day or night. Three months we're, we're, we're sitting there. And every day his body parts are stopping working. They're just stopping and to the point where um, he, he couldn't breathe on his own and he went to a coma. And the doctors are preparing us for his death. They're telling us, you know, he's, he's not going to live. Um, don't get your hopes up. There's nothing we can do. We've contacted everybody in the world. No one's seen a malformation in a spinal cord in a child this age, in this location, this size. It's never been done. We're bringing in this guy from, I think it was from India or somewhere, and, and, um, and we're going to try surgery. If the surgery works, um, uh, he won't walk the rest of his life and all these all these things and um in times like that you want you, 
you think, and I think, I don't care if every child in the world dies as long as my child lives. That's all I care about. All I care about. I was there at the hospital room with them one day, and, and, and there was no, all the, the walls are windows, so you can see all the kids in the park in USC we were at. And this one girl came in, she's maybe eight, nine years old, and she got an accident, and she lost two of her limbs in the accident. And she had brain damage, and she was going to, they said she was going to be in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. And as I'm taking care of my child, I see this girl by herself day after day after day. And I asked one of the nurses who we ended up getting very close with, I said, where's that girl's parents? She said, well, like a lot of kids, when they come in from a horrible accident in which they're going to be brain dead, the parents never come back. They just drop the kid off and they just leave because they can't handle it. And I didn't do this because I'm a good person. I didn't do it because, you know, anything like that. But something in me said to leave my child and go over there and pray for her. So every day I'd go to her room and I'd anoint her head with oil. And I'd bring her a balloon and a stuffed animal. She couldn't see it. She didn't, she couldn't feel it. None of that. And I'd be praying for this little girl. And the whole time I'm thinking, I just want my son to live. That's all I want. I don't care about anybody else. I need my son to make it. But I knew I had to get some seed in the ground. I knew I had to pray for seed. When is the last time you prayed for someone else? As if it were you. As if it were your own child. Needless to say, my son came through and asked her. He's the strongest 13-year-old I've ever seen. <laughs> Muscles all over his body. Helps his he plays soccer. He doesn't just, he, they said he wouldn't be able to walk. He runs, man. He runs. He, so you should see him at Planet Fitness doing his workout with all these other guys around. Listen, the trick of the enemy is to deceive us into holding on to our seed. He knows if we stay focused on ourselves, that's all we'll have the rest of our life. If we stay focused on me, 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 that's all we'll get. That's all we'll get. You'll never grow from where you're at if you hold on to your seed. Ecclesiastes 11.4, when you observe the wind and wait for everything to be favorable, you'll never sow. When you regard the clouds, you'll never reap. Here's what it's saying. There's no perfect time to sow. So you sow right now. There's no perfect time when all your relationships are great and health is perfect. There's money in the bank and you're so happy. And that's when I'll sow. There's never a time like that in life. You sow in your time of need so that God can bring you out. That's why you sow. Last point, point number, this, point number three is this. We need to sow into the kingdom of God. Now imagine the harvest you will get from building a church. Just imagine, out of all the things you could do in life, imagine the harvest you will get from building a church. And I know people say, well, the church isn't the building, the church is the people. You're right. We can't fit no more people in this building. <laughs> no more can get into this room. I don't, you do not want to be the usher that has to turn people away and say, no, you can't worship with us because there's no room. You don't want to be Matt and Melissa who's having to tell parents, I'm sorry, there's no room for your children. We can't take anybody else. And you know what? Your house, and people say, well, um, the home is where the heart is. That's right. Your house is not your home, so why don't you sell your house and live in a tent? Because your tent can still be your home. You know why you have a house? Because it's more productive. It's productive for you to take a shower every day. Trust me. It's productive for you to go to work. Have it's productive for us to have a building that can fit the family that God's given us. It's very productive. My whole life changed. Oh, Galatians 6.10. As often as we have the chance, do good. Here's what it's saying. Sow into good, fertile soil, especially to those 
in your household of faith. My whole life changed when I started sowing into the kingdom. At 22 years old, from 22 years old forward, I've never once been in need of anything. Anything. But I've, 22 years old, I already had two kids, the third one on the way, married. First, Listen, now from 22 before, I struggled. But at 22 years old, I started tithing faithfully, and I've never once ever had a single financial heartache or problem. Not once in my whole life. Not once. And I'm not a rich guy, but I'm incredibly blessed. Malachi 3, where it talks about tithing. Remember reaping and sowing? You do this. You bring the full tenth. Look what it says. Malachi 3, 7 12. And I'll do this. Open the windows of heaven. Pour out an abundance. Came to the sword. I'll rebuke the devour. All these things from a person who sows into the kingdom of God. And I love this phrase. The enemy cannot touch the fruit of your ground. Right. See, when you sow into the kingdom, the enemy can't touch your harvest. God will always make sure you have your harvest when you sow into the kingdom. In the early 1900s, there was an insect, very tiny insect called the bow weevil. Yeah. And it migrated from South America up to Alabama. And it began to destroy all of the cotton farmers' crops. It loved to eat cotton. It brought all of its bow weevil buddies with it. And the farmers couldn't do anything. They tried new pesticides. They tried new formulas. They could not destroy the bow weevil. They all sat back and watched their entire livelihood get taken away by a little insect. Everything they had, everything they worked for for years and years, gone. They had nothing. One of these farmers in Alabama did some research and discovered that the bow weevil did not like the taste of peanuts. So he decided to plant peanuts. Now all of his farmer buddies said, dude, you're crazy. This, you have this little bit of money left. Why don't you and your family just move somewhere like the rest of us? You're, you're never going to make it putting everything into peanuts. Do you know that farmer made more money in three months than he made in 12 months with his cotton? Three months of peanuts. Better than 12. Here's, here's why, listen. He decided to sow a seed he had never sown before. He decided to step out in faith and do something he had never done Never seen. And God brought him a huge harvest. And I love the fact the bow weevil did not like the taste of peanuts. That tells me God has a harvest for me that the enemy cannot touch. Right. Now I want to ask you a serious question, then I'll tell you a story and let you go. When God reaches into your harvest tomorrow, will there be anything there? Three months from now, when the enemy attacks you, Six months from now when your kid's going through something. A year from now when your health, something happens with you. Will there be anything in your harvest? Is there any favor in your harvest? Is there any reward? Is there any blessing? Is there any peace? Is there anything in your harvest? Or when God looks over there, is it just completely dry? You determine the harvest that God has for you. You determine that. Now, I'm going to close with a story that I told you two years ago. But I was unable to finish the story until last week. I have five amazing kids, and they're all so different. I mean, they are all so different. Um, they were all, the way I related to them from birth until now was all different as well. I mean, my oldest one loved dirt bikes and being outside and doing, you know, that kind of stuff. And then my next one was... He was into clothes for several years. We'd go to Abercrombie and Fitch every weekend and get him a shirt, you know. And if there was a little stain, he wouldn't wear it. And I had to iron his clothes for him every day, you know. And then, and then Eli, my middle one, he was, he was such an obedient 
good child. When he was a baby, I'd go in his bedroom to you'd get him out of the crib, and he'd just be standing there smiling. He could wake up at 5 a.m. and he'd stand there and smile until 7 a.m. He wouldn't cry. He wouldn't call for us. When it went time to go to bed, I'd just put him in his crib and pray for him and I'd just walk out. If he wasn't tired, he'd just sit there and smile. That's just what he did. When he was, got older, he would play with Legos in his room by himself for hours. Eli would make Bible stories out of Legos. He'd build, you know, Samson and and build, you know, Jesus feeding the people with fish. I mean, he'd, build, he'd have all these in his room. And so from the time he was maybe five years old to 15, for 10 years, he and I, the way we bonded, was we both collected things, you know, just nostalgic stuff. And Eli got into 70s and 80s um, games. He had Game Boy games, and he had original Atari, and all their games, and he had original Nintendo, and he had the robot, and all this stuff, and he had it in the box, in mint condition. We'd go to garage sales together. We'd go to flea markets together. You know, we'd travel just to find a certain game he wanted. And, and over the years, we spent several thousand dollars, and, and I knew as a pastor I would never have money for, their, to, for them to go to college or anything like that. And so I would tell Eli, you know, one day we're going to sell all this stuff, and you're going to be able to go to college, you know, do something, do something great. And that was the plan. And, man, Eli, he had thousands and thousands of games and game systems and still the boxes with them. And as a kid, he, had, he wanted a label maker for his birthday. And so he had labels on all of his, he had bookshelves and everything was perfectly organized. Games from 1970 to 71, games from 71 to 72. I mean, it was just per, all over his whole room. This was his life. And we knew, because I have connections all over Myrtle Beach with stuff like this, and I knew when it's time to sell, we'll make $50,000, maybe $60,000. It'll be the start for his college. So two years ago, um, Eli gets saved, and he gets baptized. And he's reading in his Bible one day about the, the guy that Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it away. And then he read out, you know, when you do certain things for God, you don't want anybody to know because you don't want to lose your blessing. So you want to keep it a secret. So I walk up in his room one day, and the whole room's empty. We've spent 10 years and thousands of dollars. I consider that stuff mine, to be honest. <laughs> and it's all gone. All of it's gone. He had loaded three SUVs full of every... He had thousands of records and eight tracks and cassette tapes. I had, everything in his room was empty. He had taken it to some guy, sold everything he had, and put the money in an offering plate for a mission. That he had some mission that somebody who knew was going on. When I found that out, I was furious. Me and Eli have never been in a fight in his entire life. And I called him, and he wasn't answering, and I did what I do best. I sent 500 text messages in seven minutes. I mean, I just bombarded his phone, bam, 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 bam. And I thought, I said, what the heck have you been doing? Everything in the room's gone. I can't believe, what's going on? He said, Dad, it's okay. It's okay. I sold it. I said, Eli, what's wrong with you? I need to be the one to sell it. I know how to get the most money. This is your college. You're not going to be able to go to college. What are you thinking? He's like, Dad, it's okay. It's my stuff, right? No, it's not your stuff. It's my stuff. You cannot sell this stuff. What's, you know, you, what, you're not thinking, son. You're not thinking. What is he doing? Then I'm thinking he's on drugs. He's on drugs. He sold everything for drug money. 
So I called his mom and that didn't go very well. I said, what's going on? She said, listen, listen, listen. He gave it to a missionary, but he doesn't want anyone to know because he doesn't want to lose his blessing. I said, missionary, my A-double-S, so you get that stuff bad right now. So I called the person that he sold it to and I said, listen, you ripped my son off. You gave him you know, squat for what it was worth. He's like, I know I did. And I told your son the whole time, you could sell this for $50,000 on eBay. What are you doing giving it to me? He said, I told him that. And I said, well, I'm gonna buy it back from you for more money than you gave my son. He said, okay. Boy, when Eli found out I did that, he was so upset. And then he called me and we're both crying and screaming at each other. I said, you're a horrible businessman. You know nothing about business. You know nothing about it. He said, Dad, God will provide. I said, you stupid idiot. God does not provide when you do something like this. I'm in charge of God providing. I'm the pastor. I'm the father. You know nothing. You know nothing about business. You know nothing about God providing. You know nothing. Nothing. He hung up on me. I said, I said, I'm calling Dan and I'm calling Jason. Because Jason and Dan are good businessmen and they love my kids. I said, y'all need to call Eli. I tried everything. For two weeks, we did not speak. For two weeks. We did not see each other. We did not speak. The last thing I said was, I'm so disappointed in you. How could you do this? You ruined your college. You ruined, I'm a businessman. You know nothing. You know nothing. And all he kept sending me was, God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. I'm blocking you. You don't know what you're talking about. After two weeks, I knew I wasn't going to win. So I conceded. I said, Eli, I'm sorry. And um, I'm proud of you. You're not going to be able to go to college. But I'm proud of you. Two weeks ago, Eli graduated from high school. He has a full four-year ride to USC, all expense paid. And he's going to study business. What do I know? I know nothing. Second Corinthians 9, 6. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, if a 16-year-old at the time can trust that God will bring his dream of going to college to pass by selling everything he has and giving it to some missionary, what could God do in your life? He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And that's the law of sowing and reaping. So that's it. Okay. Okay.